The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the award-winning Action Network podcast presented by BetMGM, the official odds provider of the podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. With me are Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Sean is the Action Network Director of Predictive Analytics. Chris is a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network, and they are two of the best fantasy football rankers in the world. And joining us is one of my favorite people in the industry. He's here to talk about his fantasy football rankings and the players he's drafting and fading. I'm talking about Brad Evans, a co-founder of the FTN Network, a fantasy sports writers association Hall of Famer, and a guy obsessed with huevos. Brad, thanks for joining us. Huevos gigantes, indeed. Yes, hopefully my huevos will not be sunny side up come January this NFL season. All right, it is, uh, it's great to have you on the pod. Uh, we had you on the pod last year to uh, talk about the guys you were drafting, the guys you were fading. So it's, uh, I don't know, it feels poetic in a way to, to have you back this year for the same episode. Uh, we had a fantastic run of shows recently uh, over the past couple of months. On Monday, we released our Propapalooza episode with Mike Clay, who helped us break down our favorite season-long player props for the 2020 season. Be sure to check out that episode Leave us a five-star rating and review and also take a gander at our rankings and up-to-the-minute projections and the fantasy football cheat sheet at the Action Network. You can obviously use the cheat sheet for your fantasy drafts, but it will also house our projections during the season. So you will definitely want to check it out for week one when you will be participating in the dopest DFS contest on the planet. I'm talking about the Action Network podcast, Tournament of Champions presented by our friends at BetMGM. It is free to play every week of the regular season. The top five finishers each week will punch their ticket to the grand finale wildcard weekend to compete for a fabulous grand prize, courtesy, of course, of BetMGM. And we at the Action Network are also pitching in over $1,000 of prizes for the top 10 weekly finishers. We will have more details on the Tournament of Champions for you next week. So be sure to tune in for that. Gentlemen, let's get into it. Brad, I want to start by getting some of your thoughts on your rankings process, the stats that you prioritize, how it is that you stack your board and figure out what you are prioritizing when you are drafting for 2020. Well, I think uh, in these uncertain, unprecedented times, uh, flexibility is paramount, right? <laughs> We're collecting as many data points as we can because we don't have any visual evidence outside of like college tape of some of these rookies or what guys did last season. So everybody uh, seems to be rosy. Everybody seems to be in the best shape of their life, even more so than normal. I've seen an obscene amount of guys shirtless on Twitter this offseason, and uh, I have been really adjusting my ranks uh, as a result of that. But it's unusual, the circumstances. And, you know, all you can do is, is really kind of take coach speak at face value, collect those data points, and then adjust on the fly until we see some really crappy football probably the first three weeks of the regular season as a lot of these teams try to round into shape, round into form, and knock off the rust. Uh, in general, you know, I'm an advanced analytics geek, uh, admittedly. You know, I love yards of contact per attempt, missed tackle percentage numbers tied, say, to the running back position. I love yak per reception numbers tied to wide receivers, of course, target share, whether overall or inside the red zone, uh, you know, success rates on certain routes, you know, guys and how they fit uh, into a particular system. You know, you take all these things into account, you throw it on a hopper, it spits it out. You know, I don't have any fancy spreadsheets or algorithms. You know, I'm a guy that, uh, you know, takes stuff, whether in a, in a film view or in an analytics view and kind of mashes them together so imagine it like on Thanksgiving, you know, you can segregate your food. You know, you got your, your potatoes here. You got your turkey here. You got your stuffing here. Nah, man, I swirl it all together. That's what I do. And then I just shove it in my pie hole. And that's kind of how I look at it when I do ranks as well is, you know, mashing everything together, shove it in the old pie hole. And hopefully whatever comes out of my pie hole sticks when I make those prognostications. 
So uh, do you have a, a different approach when it comes to say standard uh, versus PPR rankings? Like how, how do you manage that? Well, you got to take it on a player by player basis. You know, take Derrick Henry, for example. I mean, Derrick Henry is an absolute God of gods in a standard format. Um, you know, he's not going to catch a whole lot of passes in a PPR. Now they're saying uh, because Darrington Evans can't hold on to the football is not really transitioning smoothly in X level. Maybe you're going to see Derrick Henry a little bit more involved in the pass game this season. But, you know, in a standard setting, you know, double-figure touchdowns, uh, probably 1,300 rush yards, right around where his prop is right now at various sports books. You know, that could be a baseline for him this season. And, obviously, it, it bolsters the bottom line for him in that format. You know, and if you're deciding between him and, like, say, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, and it's a PPR format, then I would give the advantage to the rookie out of Kansas City. Unless, God forbid – you know, I know at tape time, Leonard Fournette has not signed with anybody, but just imagine if he wound up in Kansas City and just screwed everybody over who jumped with both cheeks firmly planted on the CEH bandwagon. So uh, that would be some kind of spectacular development. But as it stands right now, you know, a guy like CEH, who I think could catch 60, 65 balls in the most explosive offense in the NFL, would have a leg up on, say, a Derrick Henry. So, again, take it player by player in terms of determining whether or not a player is higher or lower, whether standard or PPR. Hey, Brad, how about in terms of uh, league size, how does your approach change based on the different size leagues? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I am CEO of Team Huevos, uh, and as a result of that, I play in some stupid deep leagues. I play in a 20-teamer, guys, with like five bench spots. Uh, we call it Super League. Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports puts it off as team reporter for that website. Uh, he puts it on every single year, and it's it's ridiculous. It's cutthroat. It's stupid. Uh, I committed fantasy suicide last year by taking mandatory Montgomery in round two uh, because, again, it's a 20-teamer. It's like you got to get your guys, and if you're at, like, pick 18 uh, in the second round, essentially, you're just sitting there like, well, crap, there's no way in hell I'm going to get him in round three. So let, let's just go all in. Let's put the waybills in the line and see what, you know, shakes out. And obviously, uh, it didn't work out for your boy last year. But, you know, you do take it case by case, league by league. You know, shallow leagues, obviously, you're going to rank guys with, you know, you're going to take more risks potentially because the depth that's out there chase more ceiling in those instances. Meanwhile, in deeper formats, and, you know, really kind of starts the dividing lines at 14 teams, especially if you have a, a flex or, you know, if you have a super flex in particular, you know, you're looking for guys with very high floors there. You're looking for more safety. But got to risk it to make the biscuit. You know, you guys know me. I'm all about making bold calls and, and following through, good or bad. And oftentimes, you know, bad. That's why we named my website Fade the Noise for crying out loud. All right, Brad, let's uh, get into some of your player rankings specifically. And, you know, on, on Twitter, I get lots of questions about the top five. Who are you taking in the top five? How are you stacking those guys? And I'm assuming, you know, because you uh, are human, that you have Christian McCaffrey as yep. uh, your number one player. But after that – how are you stacking your top five? Uh, just overall, instead of position, you're talking top five overall? Yeah, just top five guys. Well, you know, we're, we're kind of in a precarious position right now because we don't have no idea what the hell's going on with Alvin Kamara, right? You know, <laughs> is there a holdout? Is there really going to be a contract dispute? Is this going to bleed into the regular season? And, you know, I was in a salary cap slash auction draft last night. Now, granted, I had a super flex. It was a 12-teamer. He went for 40 bucks and with a $200 cap heavily discounted because people are skittish and I get it. You know, you look at the top of the running back ladder right now, and there's a lot of questions. Dalvin Cook may hold out. Joe Mixon's got holdout slash migraine issues. Uh, Miles Sanders is uh, week to week with a hamstring injury. Kenyon Drake's in a damn boot. I mean, it's gotten ugly. It's, it's full of landmines, the landscape. Uh, so right now, as it stands, it, it, you know, it only bolsters the value of those premium workhorses like Christian McCaffrey. Uh, like a Saquon Barkley, like a Zeke Elliott. So, you know, I think those guys go one, two, three, and then it begins to divert, right? If you're worried about Alvin Kamara, I'd still go number four on him as it stands presently um, because, you know, I, I think there's a lot of positive TD regressions going to occur with him. You know, he had less than 30 red zone attempts last season, which was uncharacteristic. He was battling and really a Warriors mentality, knowing he had the knee injury. He had a bad back. He had a high ankle sprain. He still put up great secondary analytics. He was top 15 in yards after contact per attempt, top 15 in missed tackle percentage last season. And, oh, yeah, he caught 80-plus balls for the third consecutive year. So, yeah, there's people out there, like, worried about Taysom Hill, Latavius Murray being goal line gremlins. But a healthy Alvin Kamara in this offense with an elite offensive line, 
Uh, I think it's going to be what he was two years ago. I, I would say minimum a dozen touchdowns in total if we see him on the field and he plays all 16 games this season. So knowing that upside, knowing, again, you got to risk it to make the biscuit, I go with him at number four. And then at number five for me, it's Michael Thomas. I've said this before, and I'm going to say it again, probably next to, like, you know, Patrick Mahomes, maybe Lamar Jackson. There isn't another player, and I think it's, it, his floor is even higher than Christian McCaffrey. No player in fantasy has a higher floor than Michael Thomas. I think it's a minimum 120 catches. The dude is an absolute monster, and he's going to see a, a boatload of targets, his general direction from, oh, yeah, still the most accurate quarterback in the NFL. Remember, Drew Brees was number one in adjusted completion percentage last year. Sean, I want to kick it to you and get your thoughts on Kamara specifically, and then also that top five. Are you stacking it with running backs, knowing that the guys that Brad listed earlier who have a whole bunch of issues, that you don't want to have to take one of those guys later? Uh, what are you doing with your top five? Yeah, so my top five is not all running backs. Um, uh, same thing. I, I agree with Brad. I think McCaffrey, Elliott, and Barkley are the clear number three. Um, and, you know, with Alvin Kamara, I mean, as I talk, there might be news breaking, so who knows. But I have him as my number four. I think you still take him number four. Um, but where it gets murky is uh, uh, slot five. You know, I essentially have Dalvin Cook and Michael Thomas tied when it comes to projections. But, I mean, given that quote by Adam Schefter, not me, Adam Schefter, that said he wouldn't draft Dalvin Cook right now if he doesn't get a contract before the season starts. I mean, he must know something that we don't. So that gives me some pause. Again, I'll, I probably would, still would take Dalvin Cook round one if he falls to me. But I think given that news, I would take Michael Thomas with pick number five. If for some reason you think you're solid in taking receivers in you know, rounds three through seven, which I think is the sweet spot, sure, go ahead and take a Derrick Henry at, at slot five. You can do that, certainly. Um, or even Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. But I think given the situation right now with Kamara, Cook, potentially Joe Mixon, um, it, it does give me some pause with some of these running backs outside of the top three, but uh, right now it's still McCaffrey, Elliott, Barkley, Kamara for me, and then Michael Thomas at pick number five right now. Raymond, I have this kind of uh, mentality of I don't want to take a player at the top of his tier, and I think that Michael Thomas is in a tier with Julio and Tyreek and Devontae Adams. So there's like a part of me that just sort of resists being the first person to, to take a, a wide receiver in the draft. And then also, I mean, we talked about those running backs going in round two. I just don't want to have to invest in those guys. I want to get a running back in round one for the most part. Where are you on Michael Thomas? Is he in your top five? Yeah, I think he has to be at this point just because of the, the question marks at running back. I think you can take uh, Thomas's high at four. I still have Kamara in there, but – uh, I'm in the process of kind of tweaking him in Dalvin Cook's game play projection just because um, there is, you know, starting to be some re real uncertainty there. And what that does is I think in anything but a full PPR league, I think that's going to end up um, having Derrick Henry in front of those guys. And, and remember, Henry's a guy who even in full PPR still finishes the RB number three last year, you know, only behind Christian McCaffrey and, and just behind Aaron Jones. So um, Derek Henry, even with the limited receiving workload, uh, can get it done even in a full PPR format. And just because he's been so durable and his workload is so consistent, um, that may be the way to go, uh, you know, in, in all formats. But I think Thomas is looking kind of like the number four at this point, um, given all the uncertainty if we're talking about a full PPR. All right. And in the top five, and I, I agree with you guys in terms of that top three, that's a really clear tier. I do have Kamara at number four. And at number five, I'm still going to be the, uh, the fish who takes a running back. And it could be Derrick Henry. It could be Dalvin Cook. For me, it's probably Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Uh, there's just something about the ceiling of his offense with the, the high floor of his receiving workload that really makes me want to invest in him. Uh, but I, I think you really can't go wrong if you go with Henry. And if you, you know, want to be safe or go with Michael Thomas, I, I think that's fine too. Um, Brad, after Michael Thomas, I think people are, are a little bit all over the place in terms of the guy that they have at number two. It could be Devontae Adams for a lot of people it is. It could potentially be Tyree Kill because of that offense, because of how explosive he is. And then it, it could also be Julio because it feels like, you know, uh, it's always Julio who's in the running to be a, a top two, top three fantasy wide receiver. How do you rank those wide receivers after Michael Thomas? 
Yeah, and I've been going back and forth on this really all summer long because it's a razor blade difference between some of these guys, to be honest with you. Uh, and really right now, I've got Devontae Adams at number two. It, you know, it's it's largely a conservative scheme. At least that's what Matt LaFleur wants to do. Uh, you know, everybody is fawning over the godlike thighs of A.J. Dillon and his John Stockton shorts to accentuate uh, just how thick those tree trunks are. And they are glorious, but, you know, Aaron Jones is still going to be a big part of this offense, a guy that was peak efficient inside the red zone last year. You got Jamal Williams as well. You know, Aaron Rodgers struggled inside the red zone last season, and largely because he didn't have Devontae Adams for a sizable chunk of the season, dealing with a foot injury. You know, I I think with Adams back, not a whole lot of competition. I mean, who's going to be the number two there? Is it going to be Alan Lazard? Is it going to be Marquez Valdez-Scantling? Is somebody else going to step up? One of the tight ends, maybe Jace Sternberger, but he's not had a standout training camp. You know, that is to be determined, but Adams is going to be a target's hog and a guy that's probably going to be well inside the top five in red zone target share come year's end. And I think he gets back closer to where he was two years ago when he had 13 touchdown receptions. You know, it could be a bottom line of 10, you know, as high as 15. He could set the pace in that category. And I said this before, and I'm going to say it again. I think Julio, you know, maybe for the second time in his NFL career, has 10 touchdowns in a season. You know, you lose Austin Hooper. Yeah, Hayden Hurst is expected to slide into that role. We'll see how he performs. He's got a nice chemistry, reportedly, with Matt Ryan. But you could see an uptick, hopefully, you know, fingers and toes crossed, an end zone target share for Julio. It's always been vexing to me that he has not been utilized more in that capacity, given his leaping ability, his size, his strong hands, it's, it's baffling that Julio Jones consistently gets like 60 touchdowns a year and is not a perennial 10 to 12 touchdown guy. But, you know, the volume is going to be there. Atlanta's defense is rancid. I know everybody's talking up Calvin Ridley. I think Calvin Ridley is one of the most overrated wide receivers right now in fantasy, wide receiver 15 in terms of average draft position. So as it stands now, it goes uh, number two for me, Devontae Adams, three, Julio Jones, four, DeAndre Hopkins, and then I have Tyreek Hill, Actually, not at five, but at six, because my number five is Allen Robinson. And it might be because, for some reason, I believe that Nick Foles may actually be semi-competent, could be the best quarterback that Allen Robinson uh, receives passes from, going back to his days in college when he had the god-awful Matt McGloin and Christian Hackenberg throwing a wounded ducks. Sean, where are you on those wide receivers? So, obviously, you know, I have them all right next to each other. That They're my tier two. I have Michael Thomas a clear tier ahead of them. Um, so you can't go wrong with either. I would say, um, you know, half PPR and standard, I would lean Tyreek. I've said it time and time again. Anytime I can invest in this Chiefs off- offense, I do. I just think, you know, the ceiling for them is a uh, record-breaking season. So that, that's why I lean Tyreek. But you, you can't go wrong with Devontae. If it's a PPR, I'm absolutely going Devontae over Tyreek. Um, and then Julio's, you know, he's right there. Um, I'm going to disagree with Brad. I think that Calvin Ridley is, a, is in a smash spot this year. So I'm, I'm getting a ton of him, you know, around four. Um, so typically I pass on Julio just because I know I'm probably going to get Ridley. Uh, but, you know, you, you really can't go wrong with any of these three, especially at this point in the draft. We already mentioned that, you know, a guy like Kenyon Drake is already in a walking boot. Uh, Miles Sanders is dealing with the hammy injury. So, you know, given the the uncertainty with all these running backs in this range, I've been drafting, you know, one of these tier two receivers a little bit more often. Uh, but again, you, you can't go with wrong with either one. And when it comes to Julio, uh, I am not banking on a 10 touchdown season. I gave up on that a few years ago. I think, <laughs> I think it's clear he's, you know, I'm projecting it for 2000 yards and five touchdowns per usual. So oh. um, I'm, just, I'm joking on that. It's like 1400 yards and six touchdowns. But I think that it's just, for whatever reason, he's more of a decoy when it comes to the red zone. And that's one of the reasons why I do like Calvin Ridley. Raybon, how are you stacking Adams, Tyreek, and Julio? Uh, I like, I like uh, Tyreek number two just because I, I project you know, top down. So quarterbacks are always the most predictable. So I like to start there. And that gives Julio uh, – I mean, excuse me, Tyreek uh, an edge over – um, the other two guys, but I think Julio is is right there at number three. I actually have Devontae number four, um, just because I think there are some concerns about you know that Green Bay offense. How much will they throw? How good will Aaron Rodgers be? Whereas you know the Falcons, regardless of Calvin Ridley kind of factors in or not, you know to you know kind of becoming that true one A. Uh, the Falcons led the league in pass attempts by a huge margin. They have a shaky defense, so um, I, I, I like Julio's 
kind of consistency, his ability to, you know, year in, year out. It's, it's 1,394 yards or more for the past six years. You can't really go wrong with that. So I wouldn't even be mad at anyone for taking Julio number two. But for me, it's Tyreek Julio, uh, then Devontae number four, then um, Hopkins number five. Uh, and Kenny Galladay is actually getting closer and closer mm. for me because yeah. uh, Matthew Stafford in that new scheme with Daryl Bevel, throwing down a field, eight out of 10.6. And um, that's going to help Gaudet kind of creep up on, on a guy like Hopkins. Who, let's remember last year averaged just 11.3 yards per reception. You know, Gaudet is probably going to be in that 15, 16 range. So um, it could be a little closer than people think. All right, Rayvon, uh, you mentioned you wouldn't blame anyone for having Julio at number two. I have Julio at, at number two, uh, and I'm with Brad. Maybe a 10 touchdowns seems like a reach, but I think it's within the range of outcomes. And although he hasn't done it in you know what feels like a decade, I think he always has a shot to get there because of the yardage and because of how explosive he is. Uh, so I have Julio, number two, Tyreek, number three, uh, and then Devontae, uh, number four. And it's really uh, nothing against, you know, Devontae, you know, versus Tyreek. I just, I prefer that, that Chiefs offense. Coming up, we're going to uh, run through the players we're drafting and fading the most. But first, a quick word from our friends at the Locked On Podcast Network. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. All right, guys, let's get into the players that uh, at each position we are really investing in and we are really looking to stay away from. So, Brad, I'm talking about, you know, like the quarterback you have invested in the most, the guy who is probably most out of line with his ADP in your rankings, and then the quarterback you have none of, the guy you just don't want, and the guy that if people are looking at your rankings, they're just not going to get any of in their fantasy drafts. Yeah, uh, let's start with a guy that I got a man crush on, uh, and it's a guy that I've come 180 on around, and that is Daniel Jones of the New York Giants. Uh, look, Daniel Jones is one of the scoring duelists out there in fantasy land and you know, always raises the floor overall. A player last season, 28 combined touchdowns. Yeah, he struggled uh, behind a shoddy offensive line with a lot of turnover issues, and, and that could be an issue, but that really doesn't hurt you too bad. It's a slight pinch uh, on your fantasy profile, and you know, this is a guy that's got – I think a better-than-advertised weaponry around him with Sterling Shepard and Golda Tate and Evan Ingram and Darius Slayton, who he made beautiful music with down the stretch last season. And the Giants' defense is in the running for the league's worst. And that secondary is an absolute punchline. You know, DeAndre Baker no longer part of this franchise with his issues off the field. You lose Xavier McKinney for a couple of months due to injury. I mean, they're already hurt, and they were bad to begin with. So, you know, I think that only, you know, raises the possibility that Daniel Jones could be north of 4,000 passing yards ago with 350 on the ground. And I think he's going to approach 30 combined touchdowns. He's got an ADP of uh, QB 14, and I got him right now at QB 8. So I'm going to get my hands on him wherever I can. And a guy I'm staying away from is Lamar Jackson. You know, look, it's really hard to repeat as king of any position in fantasy. And his efficiency numbers were otherworldly last season inside the red zone. And I don't know if he can replicate that success. Now, you know, of course, because of the scoring duality, uh, he's a player that's going to be very valuable. But, you know, you look at some of the sports books that are out there, anywhere between 919 to 975.5 is a rush yards line. And people are like, over, obliterated, take out a second mortgage, I'm all over it. But injuries happen. I, I think adding J.K. Dobbins to the mix – they want to try to alleviate some of the pressure of Lamar Jackson running the football. I don't know if you know Baltimore is going to have him take a large chunk of the 37.2 uh, rushing attempts per game that he logged last season in terms of the team and him getting a lot of that work. But I I'm stepping back. I can't justify taking him around two or round three. If I'm going early on quarterback, it's Patrick Mahomes, who I think is going to throw for at least 40 touchdowns this season. Otherwise, I wait on the position and get somebody else later on, like an aforementioned Daniel Jones, you're getting well after pick 100 in average drafts. Sean, who are you most invested in and most fading at the quarterback position? 
Um, I would say most invested is Russell Wilson. And, you know, I, I typically avoid drafting a quarterback early. I think there's so many options outside of the top 12. And I think streaming is going to be incredibly viable this year. But the, the one guy that I end up getting when I do draft a quarterback early, which, you know, would be round six or seven is Russell Wilson. You know, if I'm in a lot of expert drafts, everybody's on the, the fade quarterback bandwagon. So you, you can usually get them even later. Um, and, you know, when I take Russell Wilson, I'm expecting Pete Carroll to, you know, um, limit his passing attempts to close to 500, like we've seen the past couple seasons and him still putting up top five numbers. But there is the potential that hashtag let Russ cook does happen this year. And I think in that, in that situation, he is pushing tier one numbers. So that I, I think with Russell Wilson, you have that baked in upside again, I'm not banking on it. I'm banking on 500 attempt Russell Wilson, and that's still pretty good. Um, so that's that's why of all the quarterbacks that go in that range, Russell Wilson is the one I have the most exposure to. And, and when it comes to guys that uh, you know I'm fading, that would probably be Aaron Rodgers just based on his ADP. Um, he's still going inside the top 12 in a lot of drafts, and you know we've talked about at length, you know how the Packers really haven't done anything to help him. We've seen his rushing ability to decline, and that's been one of his you know, the, the things that he's provided over the years is he had the sneaky rushing upside. There was so many quarterbacks offering that and him on the decline. There's really no upside in taking Rodgers inside the top 12. Again, there's so many guys outside of the top 12 that I think are worth a flyer or we're going to have the ability to stream in season. So Aaron Rodgers, I have almost no shares of, which is pretty crazy. Rayvon, who are you investing in and who are you fading at the quarterback position? Most invested is probably Joe Burrow. Um, if you look back at the, the guys drafted first overall um, that, that started, you know, 14 or more games, they've had a median finish of QB 10 over the last uh, decade. So I really like Burrow. I like the fact that that Bengal defense is not going to be great. And so you're going you're gonna to see a, a quarterback that's probably going to throw it around. And he can run, too. He's one of the most efficient running quarterbacks in college football. Um, Daniel Jones, I have a ton of as well, just because I want to be exposed to guys who can run um, just because if you look at the top six and, and Josh Allen included, so really the top seven, all of them uh, add points with their legs to varying degrees. And to try to beat that over the course of a season, you're going to need that rushing upside. So Jones, Burrow, uh, Gardner Minshew is a guy I get weighed a lot. And, and of the pocket passers, um, Matthew Stafford is a guy that, that I'm investing in. I like where he goes. And uh, guys I'm fading, yeah, Aaron Rodgers. And uh, I don't get too much of the, uh, of the top six guys either, especially – um, Kyler Murray at his ADP, sadly, I think he goes, sometimes he goes before some of the other guys in the top six. And um, I prefer Watson uh, and Dak and, uh, and Russ over him. Rayvon, I'm with you on uh, the guys you're fading, all of the top six. Uh, I'd say, especially with Brad, uh, Lamar Jackson, I like him, but I just don't want to have to uh, have to pay up for him. And uh, if I'm looking to stack, that's maybe a situation in which I would possibly draft one of those quarterbacks early, but I just prefer to be stacking, um, you know, the guys on Kansas city instead of the guys on Baltimore. Uh, so I'm, I'm fading really all of those quarterbacks in the top six And Rayvon, you mentioned the rushing upside of the top six. And that really is one of the main reasons to be investing in those guys. If you're going to do it, uh, I feel like with Cam Newton, you can get that rushing upside without having to spend that draft capital. And so Newton is the guy I'm most invested in. Uh, honestly, I'm surprised that his ADP hasn't gotten higher. And I think it's just people uh, who are worried about what happened at the end of 2018 uh, when he really tailed off and then missed the last two games. And then obviously worried about what happened in 2019 when he played two games, clearly wasn't himself, and then missed the rest of the season. Uh, and, you know, maybe people are unsure about how he's going to transition from the Carolina offense to the Patriots offense. But, I mean, I want as much Cam Newton as I can have. So he's the guy uh, at the quarterback position that I am easily the most invested in. Brad, I want to kick it to you for running backs the guys you are most invested in and the guys you are most actively fading. Well, yeah, the guy I'm most invested in is Chris Carson. You know, return to practice this week, uh, getting effusive praise from Pete Carroll. And he never does that, guys. Uh, like, never, never does a PD Sunshine just throw out praise uh, about anybody. Uh, no, and obviously I'm being sarcastic there. He does that all the damn time. Uh, but Chris Carson, you know, another one of those advanced analytics darlings, uh, a guy that was top 10 in yards after contact per attempt last season, top 10 in missed tackle percentage, uh, top 10 in yards created per touch, uh, just gets the job done as a battering ram. You know, you, you worry some people like, well, what about the hip, man? Well, he didn't have surgery. And, you know, by all accounts, he's 100% healthy, good to go. And this is going to be a conservative offensive scheme. 
Um, you know, you do have DK Metcalf. You do have Tyler Lockett there. They have about 10,000 tight ends on roster. Uh, but this team is still going to run early and often and largely on the legs of Chris Carson. I'm not worried about Carlos Hyde. I'm not worried about rookie DJ Dallas taking much of the workload. I think it's going to be another 1,200 yards and close to 10 touchdowns for him this season. And then guys I am, I'm avoiding, obviously Todd Gurley, because he's got an arthritic knee. And I want nothing to do with uh, a degenerative need a running back. Uh, and, you know, look, I understand Atlanta's a favorable team to be on. You know, they had a top 15 offensive line in terms of run blocking efficiency last season, going to live inside the red zone, going to put in a bunch of numbers on the scoreboard. But, you know, he's going inside the top 20th running back position. And there are risks, major risks attached there. And we've seen his secondary analytics really deteriorate here the last couple of seasons. They were masked last season by the fact that he had 14 touchdowns. You know, I think it could be Steven Jackson, the sequel, guys, all over again. Just like Jackson was with the St. Louis Rams. Then he went to Atlanta. Uh, he was older. He fell off then. I think Todd Gurley could suffer a similar fate uh, with Dirk Cutter, you know, another uh, piece of connective tissue there calling the shots for this Atlanta franchise. I want nothing to do with Gurley, and I'm also not touching Melvin Gordon either. I live here in Denver. I think Gordon's going to get probably 65% of the workload, but another guy who we're seeing – a road right before our eyes, whether with the eye test, whether with the numbers underneath the surface, and you've got a you know a thousand yard back to back thousand yard rusher breathing down your neck there in Philip Lindsay. So love me some Carson, avoiding those uh, those old crusty running backs and Gordon and Todd Gurley. Sean, who do you like and who are you staying away from? So for, for most invested, um, it, it's tough to say anybody you know ranked inside the top twenty five because I think that. You know, your draft order usually dictates what running backs you even have exposure to. So I'm pretty spread out among those guys. So my, my two most invested running backs are Zach Moss and Boston Scott. A lot of that has to do with, like, the ability to get them way later. You, you have way more control over those types of backs. But those are the type of running backs that I do like to get later, um, where, you know, I, I would concern with the backups heading into week one. But, you know, they probably don't even need the starting running back to get hurt to see flex value. Um, their, their role is probably big enough and they're in an offense that can warrant that, but they both have high end RB2 upside if the starter were to get hurt. So that's, that's why those are the two type backs I've been gravitating to later in the draft. But I will say that Zach Moss is going way too early now. So I've been kind of backing off on him. I think the hype with him is maybe a little bit out of control, but um, you know, earlier on when you were able to get him beyond round 10, I think that's when I was loading up on him. But, you know, be careful. You don't want to be drafting him around seven because there is some some risk in taking a guy that you might not be starting every week. So just a word of caution on that. But those are my top two uh, own running backs. And then the ones that I'm avoiding, I mean, Brad mentioned two of them, but it's it's that whole – or was that Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette, Melvin Gordon, Le'Veon Belt here. Um, already dodged a bullet with Fournette. Um, but, you know – they're going at a point in the draft where you're kind of just, you know, panicking because you don't have your second running back and they start to go pretty fast. So you take one of these guys, but they're really going in a position. You should be drafting wide receiver because I think that part of the draft is really loaded. Um, and they all have various concerns and Brad mentioned it, but I, I would say Melvin Gordon's the first running back off the board where you can't really say that he's going to be the starting running back the entire season, even when healthy. I am a bit worried about Philip Lindsay. And once you start having questions, mark, question marks like that, you don't really want to be dressing a guy like that in round four. That, that is the frozen pond conundrum. So um, that's the tier I've been avoiding. Like I said, already avoided a, a landmine in Leonard Fournette. All right, Raybon, who are you investing in? Who are you divesting? Yeah, I totally agree with the, with the fades with Sean. And, you know, those, those running backs in, the, in that third, fourth round, you've got to be taking wide receivers there. Or Mark Andrews, a guy I take a lot there. So, um, and then yeah, like it's hard to get any too much of any one guy in the first or, or second round. But um, guys, wait, I, I take a lot of our same thing with Moss before his ADP rose. Tony Pollard is a guy I get a lot. Um, I think there's a chance that um, they use him a little like Ty Montgomery back in um, back in Green Bay with McCarthy, uh, Alexander Madison, just because we've had this uncertainty with Dalvin Cook um, and uh, and Latavius Murray, just kind of the guys that. 
um, you know, right on that precipice of, of blowing up if, if the starter goes down. I also get um, some Darrington Evans. I know there's been kind of conflicting reports in, in camp, but um, there's really nobody else um, behind him in Tennessee. And, you know, there, there's a lot of running back carries to go around if, if, if Derrick Henry were to go down. So just really trying to stack up on guys who maybe not right now, um, but, you know, a little bit further into the season um, could blow up. And then um, as far as the rookies, uh, J.K. Dobbins has been one that I've been getting a lot of as well, just because I think they were actively trying to monitor uh, Mark Ingram's workload last year. Uh, he hardly ever even cleared 15 carries. He was always like right in this, that, that, that range. And so, you know, I, I think Dobbins has a chance just based on how talented he is to really kind of seize hold of that, that backfield and, and even make Ingram the, uh, the one B. So um, I get a lot of him too. I agree with you on a lot of the running backs in rounds three and four I'm wanting to avoid, but the one guy, if I'm investing in a running back in that range that I'm getting, uh, I'm getting a lot of him is James Conner. And, uh, you know, months ago you could get him in round four. Now he's, you know, kind of bumped up to the top of round three in a lot of, a lot of sharper drafts. Uh, and so I'm, uh, still taking him there if I'm wanting a running back, but I, you know, he's, he's not as uh, much of a value as he used to be, but he is the guy I'm probably most invested in in that range. And then a guy a couple of rounds later that uh, I'm just unreasonably invested in uh, is Cam Akers. And it has, you know, the reason is a lot of what Brad talked about, uh, why we would want to fade Todd Gurley. Uh, even though Gurley was, you know, degenerative need last year, he was still getting a lot of production uh, within that Rams offense. And I think a lot of that this year is going to go to Akers just based on uh, the recruitment status that he had as a five-star recruit entering college, the production he had at Florida State, even though he was running behind one of the worst offensive lines in all of college football. Uh, the fact that uh, he's young, right, only 21 years old as a rookie. The fact that he is fantastically athletic, over 215 pounds, but ran a sub 4.540 time. I think he's good enough as a receiver to be a three down back within that offense. So he is someone I am really actively going after. Uh, you know, sometimes you could get him in, in rounds seven, even rounds eight a couple of months ago. You can't get him there now, but uh, in rounds five, round six, uh, I still like Cam Akers. So he is really the guy uh, that I'm going after the most. And again, just want to uh, emphasize this part. The running backs in rounds three and four, for the most part, not all that into them. Also the running backs going in that eight to 14 range at the position, especially Aaron Jones. Uh, I think, you know, A.J. Dillon and his magnificent tree trunks might uh, end up stealing just enough touchdowns to make Aaron Jones uh, a little less investable. Uh, the one guy in that uh, RB8 to RB14 range I do like is Austin Eckler. But in general, I'm staying away from a lot of those running backs, uh, RB8 to RB14. Brad, wide receivers, who do you like and who are you staying away from? There's a couple of guys I really like. Uh, two guys that are being drafted as wide receiver threes that are really, rather inexplicable to me. Uh, Michael Gallup of the Dallas Cowboys immediately comes to mind. A guy top 20 in so many advanced analytics categories last season. Uh, you know, Mike McCarthy has come out and said he's a true blue number one. Uh, you know what Amari Cooper is. Uh, we call him the Pooper Cooper for a reason because uh, he doesn't smell like potpourri every single week. Uh, it's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. He is a roller coaster ride of inconsistency. I want nothing to do with him. So, obviously, I would divest from all shares of Amari Cooper. And if you want to invest in a Dallas Cowboys wide receiver, and no, I'm not seeing CeeDee Lamb. No, I'm not necessarily buying into the Blake Jarwin hype. I think it's going to be Michael Gallup, who, you know, again, I think it's going to build off last season. And he only had a 58.9 catch percentage. Uh, this offense is going to be humming. And they're going to be scoreboard chasing as well because the defense is rather horrendous on paper, losing Gerald McCoy here in training camp as well. Tyler Boyd's another guy that I really like as well for Cincinnati. Um, you know, I agree with what Raybon was saying about Joe Burrow. I think Joe Burrow is a minimum top 15 quarterback this season. That guy is the coolest cat around. You know, whether it's smoking celebratory cigars post-championship, you know, hanging out at the White House, reading his phone. I mean, he just does it all, man, and he just does it smoothly. And, you know, and his delivery on the field has been unbelievable. Bill Callahan had a quote two weeks ago that blew my mind. In training camp, he told Joe Burrow, yo, slow down. 
you're going too fast in advancing the playbook. These other guys aren't caught up. I mean, that's how advanced he is. Cerebrally, he's absorbed this entire thing. He already knows the playbook like the back of his hand. I think it's all contingent on the health of A.J. Green. And then Boyd is going to get his no matter what. In fact, with A.J. Green in the lineup, historically, he's been better, more productive from a fantasy perspective. And, you know, having now a very accurate quarterback who can make all fields throws, and just like Raybon said, that defense uh, being overly forgiving is only going to increase the opportunities for Tyler Boyd to cash. So, again, avoid Amari Cooper. I would definitely buy in a Michael Gallup and also Tyler Boyd. And then, you know, looking at some of the other wide receivers that are out there that I'm not real high on, you know, I mentioned Calvin Ridley. I know a lot of people think it's going to be a smash spot, but I want to see, you know, if that target share can increase because I'm not necessarily convinced that's going to be the case, especially if Hayden Hurst delivers on all fronts. So uh, I would say, you know, pump the brakes. Don't overspend on Calvin Ridley. You know, if you can get him at like wide receiver 21, 22, fine. But at wide receiver 15, too rich for my blood. And then a couple other guys I'm also heavily invested in. Cortland Sutton, I live in Denver. He's been unstoppable in training camp. It's all about Drew Locke and whether or not he can produce. And Devontae Parker. And I know Parker has uh, been dealing with some injury, but Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to be the starting quarterback, I think, for at least 10 games this season. Two is not ready. He's not looked that great so far in training camp in terms of executing the system. So, you know, I, I think Devontae Parker, you people are like, oh, well, that was a mirage. That was an anomaly last year. Yeah, he may take a slight step back. And I'm not worried about Preston Williams, who was terribly inefficient last season. Miami's going to throw a lot. And Devontae Parker was fabulous in contested catch situations. He was also very efficient inside the red zone as well. And I think that's going to transfer nicely to 2020. All right, Sean, who are you investing in and who are you fading? The guys that have the most exposure to are number one, Calvin Lee. And a lot of that has to do with starting drafts in May. I mean, I was getting him in round five most of the time. If he's gone in round three, I'm probably not reaching for him, to be honest. I think round four, it still makes a ton of sense. But I have a lot of him from earlier uh, in the draft season. But lately, I, I've been getting quite a bit of Terry McLaurin as well. I just think he goes at just a, a perfect spot in the draft. So if he falls around six, I'm getting him every time. When Kelvin Harmon went down, I think it just means that his, his target share is going to be massive. And I am expecting Haskins to have a year two leap, but I think with the Alex Smith news, you know, it kind of raises McLaurin's floor because if Haskins bombs that much, um, they could put in Alex Smith. Uh, I mean, we still have to monitor his health, but I, I think that does give him at least a competent backup quarterback. Um, so that makes it a little bit safer to draft McLaurin. Um, and then the other guy that I'm getting uh, way later in the draft, I just think that he, he's clearly – the Packers' number two is Alan Lazar. You know, I consider him bench depth, but he, he does have a good high floor and ceiling combo. So I think where he's going in the draft way later, you know, I, I do like to take risks when it comes to my bench, but I think he does offer just solid bench depth, especially this season where I think it is going to be key. I think Brad mentioned earlier, you know, to, to have flexibility and your bench is going to be a little bit more important this year. So I think having a guy like Lazar uh, is going to be crucial for a season like this. Um, and when it comes to guys that I'm fading, I wouldn't say I'm fading him, but I think that I probably just have Hopkins a tier lower than most people. I consider him to be part of the Kenny Galladay, Chris Godwin tier, whereas I think a lot of people have him closer to the Tyreek, Devontae Adams, Julio tier, which I think those guys are clearly better. So he's kind of been no man's land for me, and I'm just not getting him in any of my drafts. I just think he's going to make the Cardinals offense better, not the Cardinals offense making him better. I think he's what he is. You know, I don't really see him getting more than eight touchdowns. So he's, he's not a guy that I'm getting a ton of in drafts for that reason. And Allen Robinson, I mentioned him last podcast. I just think that last season, his 98 catch, you know, 1150 yard, seven touchdown season is basically a ceiling in this offense. And I don't think it really matters whether it's Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky that wins the job. I think he's, he's capped based on this offense. And I went at a more in length last episode, but just a lot of the context of why his target share is so massive is a bit different this year. So I, I consider him more of a, you know, a high to mid range wide receiver too, but a lot of my drafts, people consider him a low wide receiver one. I'm just not willing to take him there. Raybon, who do you love and who do you hate? So I like a lot of the kind of boring, unsexy guys that have, you know, either consistent offenses or good quarterback production that people kind of sleep on. Uh, so Cooper Cup is a guy I get a ton of. Um, Robert Woods, Tyra Lockett, uh, love him. Um, 
he's kind of like the poor man's uh, Breeze Thomas in terms of efficiency, but people are worried about his targets. Part of the reason he doesn't get a lot of targets because he's so efficient with them, you know, getting chunk plays. So, um, you know, he's a guy that if his targets just blow up a little bit, you know, he'll be right there in that conversation, you know, for a, a high-end wide receiver one. Uh, love uh, Marquise Brown for a breakout year. I love taking Will Fuller as my, you know, number four wide receiver if he if I can get him that way, and I already have three. Um, because I think he's he's got a chance to be he's likely going to be the number one for Watson. He's the only guy that really has that chemistry with him uh, among you know the, the top targets. So um, getting a ton of him, and then late late I'm getting a, a lot of Steven Sims Jr. Um, he's a guy who started in Washington over the last four weeks and uh, averaged nine targets, averaged a touchdown per game over the last four games. Uh, caught uh, four, five, six, and five balls. And listen, Washington, they don't even have a tight end. Adrian Peterson, if he's going to start at running back, he doesn't catch passes. Like these targets have to go somewhere besides McLaurin. Uh, and Steven Sims, been having a good camp, kind of a guy that's going to be, I think, on the field almost every play. So getting a lot of him. And guys, I'm fading. It's kind of that, that Hopkins, Godwin, with the exception of Gaude, you know, that Hopkins, Godwin, Evans, Allen Robinson, Amari Cooper tier, you know, nothing totally against those guys. I do agree that, you know, Cooper is going to have some inconsistencies, but it's just that the value at that point is not quite there. I'd rather get um, either, you know, one of the lower end of that, that running back tier before it drops off or get like a Mark Andrews or something. So I'm kind of staying away from those guys. Raybon, so much disrespect to Logan Thomas in Washington. <laughs> I mean, come on, You're saying they don't have a tight end. Uh, I mean, it's ugly. It's ugly there. Uh, all right, so the wide receiver I am easily most invested in is Deshaun Jackson, and I think of him as a a version of Will Fuller, except obviously much, much older. You know, he's in an offense that could provide him with a good number of opportunities, especially now with Jalen Rager injured, and we don't know what's going to happen with him. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey, we don't know really when he's going to be coming back. There could just be a lot of opportunities for Deshaun Jackson. And as long as he can stay healthy, I know that's a big if, but if he gives us 13 games, and I think there's a pretty decent chance he does that. If he gives us 13 games, he, I think, has a decent chance of leading that team in air yards. So very optimistic about Deshaun Jackson, especially given that you can get him very late in your drafts. So he's a guy I'm very invested in. And then I'm going to second uh, someone Sean mentioned, DeAndre Hopkins. Nothing against Hopkins. I, I still think, you know, in real football, he's a, a top five wide receiver in the game. Uh, I just think that the transition to Arizona might be a little bit harder than people are anticipating. I don't think he's going to get as many targets as he's had in previous seasons. And the target share really has been what uh, has boosted him to just atmospheric levels of production. I don't think we're going to get there this year. So uh, that means I have basically no Hopkins, even though he's not someone I'm actively going out of my way to uh, to stay away from. I just uh, end up getting no no Hopkins because I'm just, you know, kind of looking elsewhere. But uh, yeah, he's one. I am. Uh, I've realized I have zero Hopkins. Brad, let's talk about these tight ends, the guys you like and the guys you are fading. Yeah, guys I like. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of them. This is uh, unprecedented depth in my mind. Now, I see this now, you know, September 1st, but, you know, come like November 1st, it's going to be a desert with rolling tumbleweed. <laughs> That's how it always seems to be, a tight end. Uh, but, man, I love Chris Herndon. I don't know why. I mean, investing in an Adam Gase tight end is a very scary proposition, I will say that. Uh, that's like going into a dark room in a horror film. But, you know, I, I do like the athleticism. I like what he did in his rookie season. You know, had a high A dot that year. Really impressed. And then, of course, he had the off-the-field issues, the injuries last season. Now he's healthy. Now he's expected to be a centerpiece. You know, all local reports are saying he's got a budding, blossoming chemistry with Sam Darnold. The Jets are going to be bad and pretty woeful defensively. So, you know, there could be a lot of opportunities. If you're looking for this year's Darren Waller, it could indeed be Chris Herndon. Um, so I'm really high on him. And then guys that I'm avoiding is Tyler Higby in particular. Um, you know, Tyler Higby's a guy, people buy into him right now at like tight end seven, tight end eight, and I don't get it. I know it's recency bias because he had four 100-yard games in his last five, but that was without Gerald Everett on the field. And whenever it was on the field earlier in the season, in 10 games, he averaged 32.1 yards per game and had one. That's right, one touchdown. Cooper Cup is a centerpiece inside the red zone. I'm expecting positive TD regression for Robert Woods. You mentioned Cam Akers uh, being a focal point of this offense. I want nothing to do with Tyler Higby at his current ADP. I think people are grossly overpaying for his services. Sean, tight ends, talk to me. 
My most owned tight ends are Hayden Hurst and Dallas Goddard. When it comes to Hayden Hurst, you know, anytime he falls outside of the top 10, I'm going to be taking him. You know, I think a lot of that has to do with why I liked Austin Hooper last year, and that's just dirt cutter offenses uh, churn out tight end ones. I mean, if you look at the past 10 seasons, he's churned out seven tight end ones, and it's potpourri of different tight ends. So you have Mercedes Lewis on the Jaguars, uh, Tony Gonzalez, the GOAT, uh, Cam Brate, OJ Howard, and then Austin Hooper last year. So, and I think it's no surprise that after Dirk Cutter left, left Camp Bay last year, you know, uh, Cam Brate and OJ Howard both busted. So, uh, I just believe in his system, uh, feeding, you know, targets to the tight end. And Hurst, I, I, without doubt, he's more talented and can do more after the catch than Austin Hooper. So, it's scary to think what he can do in this offense. So I've been getting him quite a bit. And then, you know, later in the draft, uh, I always say that Dallas Goddard has just that built-in upside if Zach Ertz were to miss time. But even when Zach Ertz is healthy, I consider him, you know, a fringe tight end one. So especially, you know, with Alshon Jeffrey not likely to start the season, uh, Jalen Rager is now out, Marquise Goodwin opted out. You know, I thought this uh, receiving depth chart was going to be a lot better heading this season, but it's looking a lot more like last year. So I think Goddard – Will be a factor early in the season. I think, you know, he's at the point of his, his career where he's only going to get better. So I love his upside, getting him way later in the draft. So I have a ton of him as well. Um, and then the, the tier I'm avoiding is the Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry tier. You know, taking Brad's point with Taylor Higby, you know, I can go either way with him. If you want to bet on the upside and you don't think Gerald Everett's going to be on the field much, go for it. Take Tyler Higby because I think he does have – top five upside at least there's you know some potential there but when it comes to Ingram and Henry I just think you're better off waiting for a guy like Hurst or one of these many tight ends with upside later in the draft um, you know Ingram hasn't uh, really shown that he could stay healthy for an entire season they have a ton of weapons there it's, it's hard to see him hitting a ceiling this year and Hunter Henry um, you know I'm just down on the passing attack for the Chargers in general so I, I just think it's a mistake taking tight end when they're going so I have very little shares of those two. Rayvon, tight end, who's hot and who's not? I mean, Hayden Hurst, I got so much more Hayden Hurst than like every other tight end that it's not even funny. Um, he'll probably get hurt in like week one. Uh, <laughs> don't say that. Please don't say I that. Mean, I mean, I do agree that like there's something to like about all those tight ends kind of going, you know, outside the top eight. But my issue is that I can't choose one. It's like there's all these different guys and, you know, not all of them are going to hit. And so I'm really just kind of in a race to get the tight end eight. I don't take as many of those guys as – um, maybe some some people are. I, I try to get Hurst if I don't get a top four tight end. Um, and I do usually target, you know, Mark Andrews or, or Zach Ertz because I think, you know, Andrews has that upside to ascend into that Kelsey Kittle tier. Um, he's a guy that was targeted on one of every three pass routes last year um, with a top three tight end. And, you know, that was running about, you know, 55, 60% of the routes most weeks um, for Baltimore. So he has huge upside. And then um, Ertz is just going to be Mr. Reliable. I mean, you know, Sean mentioned it. They don't have a, a receiving core yet again. Um, it's, it's kind of falling by the wayside. So I think Ertz is kind of getting swept on because he's a little older. He's kind of boring. But um, I think it's really going to be valuable to have a top four tight end or a guy that can kind of – like Hurst, you know, could be in that Hooper role. Hooper caught 5.8 balls per game last year. You're going to need a guy like that with that kind of volume to, to equalize um, what those top four do. So those, uh, it's been Hurst in, in the top four for me. And as far as, yeah, who I'm staying away from, it's largely the guys outside, uh, after Hurst. You know, I, I have Hurst ranked as my tight end seven. Uh, and after that, you know, it, it gets shaky. I mean, I, I personally think Higby is going to continue to have um, the same role he has, but I, that's not a guarantee. And so I don't want to kind of, you know, take that risk where he's going in ADP because there are better receivers, I think, going around him. So I don't get a ton of him. Um, and then, yeah, all the guys after that, I, I really choose my spots because, again, I just think it's hard to pick one. And that leaves you kind of back in no man's land. And they're harder to predict. So a tight end is harder to stream, you know, week in, week out than a quarterback. You know, unless you got the guy going against the Cardinals, um, or at least you did last year. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Rayvon, you mentioned wanting to stay away from the guys after Hurst uh, and how it's harder to pick out, the, you know, the guy that really might break out. I think I have picked out the guy, and that's no offense. Uh, I think he's absolutely going to smash. Of course, I'm probably wrong. A lot of this is predicated on the idea that that Denver offense won't be as bad as a lot of people are, you know, 
kind of projecting it to be. You know, Brad mentioned that he's high on Cortland Sutton. I'm also high on Sutton. And again, a lot of it has to do with that Denver offense. Uh, under Pat Shermer, I think it's going to be uh, a faster offense and more of a pass-focused offense than what we saw last year. And so I think that's going to result in just more opportunities for Noah Fant, who had a rather Herndon-like uh, rookie year just in terms of the efficiency that he had on a, a per target basis and uh, Herndon is also someone later in drafts that I'm uh, very invested in but Fant really is the guy that I'm going for which means that I'm really looking to stay away from all of the tight ends from tight end five to tight end 12 uh, especially Austin Hooper uh, you know given that Fant you can get him at you know tight end 13 to tight end 15 he is really the guy that I am going for uh, and again just the guys I'm staying away from, I have really nobody drafted in that tight end five to tight end 12 range, except for a little bit of Hayden Hurst uh, when you could get him earlier in draft season outside of the top 12. But uh, since he's moved up, I haven't really invested in him. So the guys I'm fading uh, really that middle range of tight end five to tight end 12. Uh, Some final questions here, Brad, if you end up being incredibly wrong about a player, who do you think that's going to be? Oh, it's obviously David Montgomery, right? Because I've already doubled down on him, and now he's got a, a tender groin. And, you know, look, I'm willing to massage it to get it back to full health, whatever is necessary. I need him on the field. But I have doubled down on him because when he does come back, and I've talked to some Bears insiders about this, he is the, you know, the true blue unrivaled workhorse in this backfield. Now, you have offensive line concerns. They were, you know, in the bottom third and run blocking efficiency for the Bears last season. Obviously, the quarterback position is a ginormous question mark, but the Bears haven't gone out and signed a veteran. You know, maybe they kick the tires on Leonard Fournette. But as it stands currently, I mean, he's going to get 20 touches per game. I'm, you know, I'm already bleeding on that hill. So I, I might as well just stay there and, and just bleed out until I'm dead at this juncture. So uh, for me, Dave Montgomery is a guy I'm doubling down on, and I'm praying that he's going to be back by at least week two because the early season schedule for the Bears is quite delightful. Sean, who's the guy you are going to be wrong about? The one guy I can see definitely being wrong about is Josh Allen at QB uh, 10, I think it is. Um, now I'm projecting some regression around the goal line. But, of course, if he carries over the eight to nine rushing touchdowns this year and has the breakout season passing, which I think will happen with Stephon Diggs, I mean, we could be looking at a Lamar Jackson breakout season. I'll look like an idiot with him as my QB10. So that's probably the guy most likely to get wrong. Rayvon, who are you going to get wrong? It's got to be Will Fuller. I mean, I have him at, like, wide receiver 25 because I don't – like, I, you can only project missed games to such a degree, you know, of accuracy. So you can't have guys that, like – unless you're Chris Thompson. But, like, you can't have guys that, like, you know, 10 games or something like that. So, I, you know, I, I knock him down a little bit. But, um, you know, I'm expecting him to be Houston's number one receiver. He hasn't really stayed healthy as a pro. And so, yeah, I could easily get him wrong. And on the flip side, Todd Gurley is a guy that I am projecting a little more conservatively because I do expect an injury that really hasn't happened yet. You know, we haven't seen a lot of missed games from him. So if he stays healthy, he could easily outkick, um, you know, I would say, you know, all of our fades, I think we're all kind of fading him. Um, but if he stays healthy, um, he should be, he should be good money. Yeah. A guy that uh, I could see myself being incredibly wrong about is Amari Cooper. I have him projected for a lot of the targets within that offense. I think Dallas's offense in general is going to be pretty awesome. And so I think there are multiple ways in which I, I could be wrong. Maybe that offense isn't as good, right? Maybe the uh, the marriage of Mike McCarthy and Kellen Moore doesn't result in a lot of fantasy goodness for that team. Maybe there is a lot of fantasy goodness to go around, but Amari Cooper just doesn't get it. Instead, it goes to Michael Gallup or C.D. Lamb. There are, just, there are lots of ways I could end up being wrong about Amari Cooper, but uh, I'm aggressively projecting him uh and I, I think he's going to have a smash of the season you can see how that could go wrong uh all right brad one final question here who's the one player you are most convinced is going to be a league winner yeah there's a lot of strong candidates here and this is going to be a very bold take gentlemen but if and i say this with much hesitancy if he can get 16 games in, i think it's going to be david johnson i really do he has little to no competition for touches outside of duke uh, you know, Bill O'Brien is hell-bent on convincing the masses that trading away DeAndre Hopkins was a good thing. By all accounts, you know, you, you look at David Johnson, he's healthy, he came in a cramp, camp in great shape. 
The back is no longer an issue. If he can hold up, he's going to get 20 touches per game. And he is script agnostic because even if Houston is scoreboard chasing, he's going to be heavily involved as a receiver of the backfield. And we can't forget what he was weeks one through six last year before the ankle injury sapped his production. I mean, he was averaging over 100 total yards per game. He was inside the top 10 in fantasy points per game. You know, he's a player you've been consistently getting in round four, round five in some cases. And volume speaks loudly in fantasy. And David Johnson, if he can recapture the magic of a couple of seasons ago, could be that guy that you stole in your draft and winds up being a top 10 running back and a difference maker getting you over the hump and having you hoist the hardware in the end. There you go. Brad Evans says to take David Johnson number one overall. That's what he said. (laughs) Brad, what do you guys have going on at FTN? Oh, man, we got a little this, a little that, a little everything. Um, You know, we're a comprehensive uh, three-side experience, ftnbets.com, ftndaily.com, ftnfantasy.com. Tons of great content. Jeff Ratcliffe's stuff is on site right now. Magic Sports Guy, Kevin Adams, my co-founder. He is releasing his favorite prop wagers of the season. Elliot Chris has been rolling out some exciting and engrossing content. We've got some snazzy tools as well. So just got to go check it out. ftnfantasy.com, ftnbets.com, ftndaily.com. We are pumping all those sites with rich content every single day. All right, Brad, great stuff. Everyone, you can follow Brad on Twitter at Noisy Wavos. And you can follow Sean, Chris, and me in the Action Network app at the underscore Ozmaker, Chris Raybon, and Matt F. The Oracle. Please subscribe to and rate, interview the show, and listen and download on Spotify. See you again next episode. finished talking.